you'll open your Bibles again and turn this time to Psalm 40. In the Church Bible, that's page 566. And in the large print Bibles, 877. Psalm 40. For the director of music of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. This is God's word. Sometimes we talk about getting that sinking feeling. And it can be an overwhelming feeling at times. We go through situations in life that feel just like drowning in the mud. It might be a loss, it might be a failure or some kind of trial, maybe an illness or a family mess or a career mess. Psalm 40 comes out of an experience like that in David's life. He doesn't give us details about it, he just describes it in verse 2 as a slimy pit. Maybe it was a literal pit. 
he was sinking in. More likely, it was a time when he was oppressed or under attack by his enemies. Or David's pit might have been the guilt of his sin. We know from other places, his experience of guilt was overwhelming. Whatever slimy pit David was sinking in, he says he cried to God and God heard him. In fact, David says in verse 1, God didn't just hear me, he turned to me, he gave me his attention, and he lifted me out of that pit. But it didn't end there, David says, God didn't leave me hanging, he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. Again, we don't know what exactly that is referring to. Whatever the pit was, this describes God's deliverance from it. David is looking back here. And it's important to see why he's looking back. This is not just a moment of nostalgia for David. David is looking back urgently. We're going to find out, as he writes, he is in a new slimy pit. So he's looking back to this earlier pit, not for some pleasant memories. He's looking back in desperation. To remind himself the God he belongs to is the God who hauls his people out of pits. David has experienced that and he urgently needs to remind himself of it. So he looks back to God's deliverance. But also what came after that deliverance. David looks back to the time he received God's deliverance and a new life. After he was delivered, his life had a new focus. Verse 3. God put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. David's telling us when his feet landed on firm ground, he didn't just go back to normal. He began a life of praise. David realized God pulled him out of the pit, not just for David's sake. It was for God's sake too, to spread God's fame. So others would see what God did for David and put their trust in David's God. God put a new song of praise in David's mouth, and it's David's privilege and responsibility to sing God's praises. But he tells us his new life was not all about singing songs. He began to praise God in other ways too, by trusting him. Verse 4, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Someone has said about David's words here, the past is full of God's miracles, the future is full of God's plans. Why would we not trust him? This is one of the things the Bible does for us. When we read it, we're reminded of the the wonders God has done. And we're reminded too of what he plans to do. David has been hauled out of the pit. 
He has a new song in his mouth, a new trust in his heart, and a new obedience in his behavior. Verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. These are unusual verses. They're unusual in two ways. The first unusual thing is this claim that God did not desire or require sacrifice and offering. We read that and we wonder, did David not know God's law? Did he not know about all those bulls, lambs, goats, and pigeons God required? Slaughtered on the altar day after day? Well, David certainly did know about that. In verse 8, he says, your law is within my heart. David knew about the animal sacrifices. And in fact, David had thought long and hard about those sacrifices. He knew they had no value in and of themselves. They were valuable when they came from a person committed to God. They were useful then as signs of a true devotion to God. But they had no value at all when they were brought as an empty ritual. God says numerous times in the Old Testament, what use do I have for your bulls and goats? I want your hearts. The animals mean something if your lives are devoted to me. Otherwise, it's all just beef and mutton. And what do I want that for? That's what David's getting at here. God had delivered David, and David was determined to give himself to God, not just go through the motions for God. But that leads to the second unusual thing about verses 6 to 8. It's the way David talks about himself here. His basic point is clear enough. He is committed to listen to God and do God's will. My ears you have opened is literally my ears you have dug out. Some of you know what that's like. To have wax dug out of your ears. Afterwards, people's voices become a lot clearer. So my mom tells me anyway. And the idea here is similar. God has enabled David to hear his voice. David is tuned to God's wavelength. So he's not going to do what he thinks God might want. David is going to listen to God. That involves listening to God's written word, the scroll. David's going to listen to God and then he's going to do what God actually wants. So far, as we listen to David, that much is obvious. But then David says something that seems just a bit over the top. In verse 7, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. It sounds a bit like, I'm the one you've been waiting for, God. I've finally arrived. The scroll is the Old Testament law. And the law said kings were to make their own copy of the law and then obey it. 
And that is probably what David's thinking of here. He's king and he's going to give his life to God. But the way David puts it still seems over the top. One writer says, David speaks here as if his self-offering will be the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So what are we to make of David's words? Well, the New Testament tells us David the Messiah was speaking here for his greater descendant, Jesus the Messiah. The book of Hebrews quotes verses 6 to 8. We read it earlier. And Hebrews says, these are Jesus' words. David might have written them, but they were written for Jesus. He's the one who was written about in the Old Testament. He's the one who dedicated his life to do God's will perfectly. He's the one who became the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So today, as you and I read this psalm about the slimy pit, we can't avoid thinking about what Jesus did to lift us out of the slimy pit of our sin. As Jesus obeyed his Father, he was the Father's instrument to haul you and me out of the slime. It's Jesus who gives us new life. Jesus is the solid rock we stand on. It's Jesus' work we remember in our songs. It's Jesus we trust in. It's Jesus' example that we follow. Our new life is a life centered on Jesus. Now there may well be other slimy pits that we can thank God for hauling us out of. But we know our sin was the deepest, slimiest pit we will ever be in. And we have been delivered from it. And so then, don't we have all the more reason to live our lives for God? The deeper the pit we've been in, the greater reason to live for the one who hauled us out of it. And the greater reason to proclaim God's salvation. Look at verse 9. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Someone has said, David responds to the wonderful works of the Lord with inner commitment and outer testimony. The inner commitment was in verses 4 to 8. It was a commitment to trust and obey. These verses, 9 and 10, they show us the outer testimony. David proclaims God's salvation. And I know this is hard for us, this bit. I think it's hard for all of us. People who find this easy are probably the exceptions. And yet, God has hauled us out of a pit. 
He has hauled us out of the worst pit there is. So is there any way you and I can work to overcome our silence and our hesitancy to proclaim God's salvation? Is there any way we can do that for his glory? What can we do to unseal our lips? Well, the previous psalm has a statement that does help us. Psalm 39 says this. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Those words were also written by David. And they show us a way to get our mouths open as God's people. David is saying, when we meditate on a powerful truth, it stokes a fire in us until, finally, we speak. We can't help it. So if we meditate long enough and closely enough on some injustice in the world, it will move us eventually to speak about that injustice. And when we meditate on God's salvation when we turn it round in our minds, that will light a fire in us too until we speak about that. So when we come to these verses about proclaiming, we can all be honest with each other. None of us, I'm sure, are the kind of proclaimers we would like to be. We can admit that, but let's not leave it at that. The answer for us is not to browbeat each other either about how rubbish we all are. The way forward for you and me is to dwell on God's salvation until the fire burns in us and then we speak about it in spite of our shyness and our fear. So let's dwell on God's salvation together and let's dwell on it on our own. God has delivered us from the slime. He's given us new life. So let's live all of that new life for him. And all that is just David's introduction. He's been looking back, remember, to the pit God hauled him from. And the reason he's been looking back is because he's sinking now in a whole new pit. And this one, he tells us, is filled with several varieties of slime. Verse 12 gives us one variety. Troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. So this new pit David's in is at least partly a pit he dug for himself. He has sinned and his sins have overtaken him. He's sinking in the consequences of his sin. Then verses 14 and 15 mention another kind of slime. He says, may all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. 
So these people are trying to capitalize on David's situation. He has made a mess of things somehow, and these people are trying to use that to their own advantage. Probably not just to damage David, but the kingdom of Israel as well. So the man who was delivered, the man who was given new life, finds himself now in new trouble. He has made a sinful mess of some kind and other people are contributing their own sin to the mix. David is sinking again. That's why he looked back in verses 1 to 10. He admits now, I can't see a way out of this present mess. My heart fails within me. And so he looks back. To remind himself, this situation involves new trouble, but the same God. David has experienced God's mercy, love, and faithfulness in the past. And so now he prays in verse 11, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. Then in verse 13, Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. You've saved me before, Lord. Save me again. Haul me out of this new pit. And in verse 17, As for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. New trouble, but the same God. But we might read this and wonder, is David treating God like a genie in a bottle here? I'll turn to you when I'm in a mess, and then I'll forget you. Is that what David's doing? Well, those kind of prayers are common. The person who prays when they're sinking, then once their feet hit solid ground, they go back to ignoring God. But there are indications here David is not like that. In the first part of the psalm, he understood God delivered him from the pit so he could live for God. Part of David's calling was to live to God's praise. So others would put their trust in God. And here, in this new pit David's in, we see that same awareness. Look in verse 16. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. There's no doubt David is crying to God for his own sake here. But he also has the bigger agenda in mind. Lord, save me not just for my sake, but for all those who seek you. Answer me for the sake of others who are longing for your saving help. So they can take confidence in you. So they can look at me and say, the Lord is great. That's a mark of a man or woman of God. When we suffer, whether it's a pit we dug for ourselves by our own sin, or whether it's a pit others have dug for us, or some combination of those two, 
when we cry for God's deliverance, we have the good of God's people in mind too. We have the spread of God's kingdom in mind. We have God's glory in mind. We want many to see what God has done for us and put their trust in him. We don't know the details of David's situation. We could make some guesses, maybe, as we read about his life in First and Second Samuel, but they're only guesses. But we do know our own situations. We know about the slime other people tip over us in life. We find ourselves often in masses that other people have made. We have to deal with their foolish decisions or their unjust treatment. Maybe we know what it's like to sink in medical problems, emotional issues, depression. That is another kind of slime. And we know about the slime of our own sin. Sometimes we're sinking in all of the above at the same time, it seems. And so we have to do what David does. We have to look back to what God has done for us. He has delivered us from the greatest pit. Ephesians says we weren't just sinking in that pit, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But he lifted us to new life. And he did it through Jesus. After that deliverance, there will be times when we have to cry out again, save me, Lord. But we know we're calling to the same Savior. And he has the same power. Whatever new pit we happen to be in, our Savior's love and faithfulness have not changed. He is still our help. And we have his promise of complete deliverance one day. A time when no more slime of any kind will stick to us anymore or threaten to overwhelm us anymore. The Bible tells us one day our feet will be on the firm ground of God's new heaven and earth, where righteousness dwells. So until then, let's keep reminding ourselves. We may be facing new trouble in our lives, but we have the same God. He heard us before, he will hear us this time too. He lifted us out of the pit before, he can lift us again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that above all you know us. You know the pit each one of us is facing. You know the slime that's around us. It may be relatively minor for some of us, but some of us may be feeling we're about to go under. 
Whatever it is, we're here together and we're here as your people. And we look to you again, our help and our deliverer. We need you. Our brothers and sisters need you. Do not delay. Remind us of the firm ground you have put under our feet, Christ the solid rock. Will you help us to keep our eyes on him, even as we wait for new help from you? This evening, will you renew our hope in you? Our help and our deliverer. Amen. We've listened to Psalm 40, and now we're going to proclaim it together. We have a version of this psalm set to music, and you'll know the tune very well, although you probably haven't sung the words before. So we'll sing Psalm 40 together, and then we'll close by reminding ourselves that it's on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. First, let's sing, Patient in hope, I sought the Lord. <laughs> 